You're listening to another great message from Northside Community Church. Uh, we, we are in the middle of a bridge season at the moment. Uh, our senior pastor has recently retired and moved on to Adelaide and is just as present as ever on Facebook, I see, which is just as good. So that's helping the grief process, isn't it, for us younger generation? Uh, but we are in a season of transition and it's uh, new leadership here. And so uh, that's why we've uh, been looking at this series called The Bridge. I love bridges. I love uh, the Harbour Bridge. I love those bridges in the United States that seem to span gaps that go into the very centre of the earth. The reason I love bridges is because bridges allow you to get from here to there. And I don't know about you, but are you one of those people that always hate being stuck in the middle? And we hate being in between. We'd rather be here or we'd rather be there, but we don't want to be in between. But bridges are places of stability. They're places that are engineered to be safe. Bridges offer you a great opportunity to reflect on where you've been, but also where you're headed. And so that's what we're going to look at tonight. We're going to read from God's Word in Joshua chapter 1, verse 7 through to 10, 6 through to 10. This is Old Testament. This is the Israelites going through their own bridge season uh, as they were about to head into the promised land. They'd just been through a leadership transition as well from Moses to Joshua. And it says this, it says, Be strong and courageous because you will lead these people to inherit the land I swore to their forefathers to give them. Be strong and very courageous. Be careful to obey all the law my servant Moses gave you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left. That you may be successful wherever you go. Do not let this book of the law depart from your mouth. Meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Then you will be prosperous and successful. Uh, Last week... Uh, we have been looking at how the church gathers, but we also looked at this little guy. Are you sick of him yet? He's, uh, he's the anableb. He's my favorite amphibian, and this is more for the benefit of our guests tonight because the rest of you already know this is your new identity for the past couple of weeks. Anableps or four eyes. I'll just call you four eyes. It's easier. But what I love about anableps is they have four eyes. They have an eye that can see simultaneously above the surface of the, of the water. So they, they can see where they're going. And at exactly the same time, they can see below the surface of the water there. So they can look in on themselves. They can feed themselves. And so we've been looking at this series anableptically. And that is, if you're going, we're going through a transition as a church, but you might be going through a life transition. And so for us as the community and the people of God, what we've learned last week as the gathered people of God, that in order for us to transition as a church, you need to transition. And so not only do you need to be looking above the surface of the water in terms of what this means for us as a community of God, but you need to look below the surface of the water at yourself. How do you go through these transitions of from grieving to gathering to God focus, which we'll talk about tonight, or future focus and to ultimately getting ready to move into the plans that God has for your life. Now, we learned last week this, that there's, there's nothing extraordinary about gatherings. I mean, card clubs gather, social clubs gather, Call of Duty clubs gather. They do it online, but they're still clubs. Uh, bowling clubs gather. There's nothing special 
about that. They don't change the world, right? Why? Because they don't have this at the centre of their membership. At the centre of the church says, obey the law of God and you will be successful. Now, note the shift in perspective that we've seen in Joshua here. What we've been reading through Deuteronomy and Joshua is that in the past, they were all past focused. This is all the stuff that Moses has done. The Israelites grieved for Moses because they've lost him. There was no greater prophet than Moses. And then we've seen the verses transition into getting ready, start gathering the people, present tense. And for the first time, we see this, this passage shift. It says, wherever you may go, you will be successful. And here's why this is critical. Here's why this is critical. Because there must come a point in your life where you stop thinking about here and you start thinking about there. Why? Um, my widget story, you know my widget story, some of you. Uh, some, someone says to two people, goes and puts them into a room, dark room, crackly paint, one of those annoying flickering fluoro lights. And they say to these two different people, uh, go into the room, each in your own room, uh, you're going to make widgets 24 hours a day, seven days a week for the next 10 years. And so to person number one, they say to them, and at the end of it all, you're going to get $10. And then to person number two, they say at the end of it, you're going to get $10 million. Now, question class. Who whistles while they work? You see, we are irreducibly hope-based creatures. That is, our, our believed-in futures affect how we live the present. And so what this revealed for me when we came to this passage tonight is that healthy transition in your life, whether it's a church or whether it's for you individually, depends on two things. It depends on a healthy view of what success is. And it also depends on, a, on the healthy methods to achieve that success. A healthy view of success, healthy methods for success. Let's have a look at the first one. Here's the first thing. Healthy transition depends on your view of success. Uh, John Stott, he was a really um, bigwig Anglican preacher. And uh, he, he said that a, a preacher stands between two worlds. That, that is that... In their preparation, a preacher needs to prepare with the Bible in the left hand and the newspaper in the right. And I did a bit of that this week. And I tell you, um, uh, never has my heart felt um, more saddened and more grieved than to see uh, the images and the stories of thousands upon thousands of our brothers and sisters in Iraq that are fleeing for their lives. Shots of the internet of, of, of little girls that have been slaughtered, little Christian girls that have been slaughtered because of their faith. And the, the thing that pains me with all of this is that how, how do you think they would read this verse? How do you think they would read Joshua 1 verse 7? Be strong and very courageous. Be careful to obey all the law my servant Moses gave you. Same book, right, for them in Iraq as it is here in Crow's Nest. Do not turn from it, the right or the left, that you may be successful wherever you go. The question I'm thinking is, how's their Christianity working for them? How's that working for you? Because wherever they go, there, there, is, there is no money, there's no car, there's no home anymore for some of them, there's no family anymore. 
what that made me realize is when we look at success here, when it says that you may be successful wherever you go, here's what it shows us. Surely God's success here can't mean obey my law and you will get promoted. Obey my law and you will get what you want. Obey my law and you will be materially blessed. Are we agreed? It can't mean that. It's something deeper. It's something more nuanced and more powerful. There has to be something deeper to it. Now, if you look at it, the underlying Hebrew word taxil, here's what it means. Uh, That you might be successful, the way they translate it is that you might be insightful, that you might be prudent, that you might be wise. Right, So that you might be wise wherever you go. So the, the success that God says comes from obeying his law, the Bible, is that you become wise. It means you don't just succeed, you flourish. It's organic. Now, ironically, this is what you really need in transition, right? If any of I've been there. If any of you have been in a life transition before, what you really need is wisdom because wisdom is the competency to make the right decision when there are a range of right decisions to be made. Have you ever felt that? When you could go, oh, this job is fantastic, this job is fantastic, this job is fantastic. Lord, which one do I take? <laughs> and see, wisdom is what you need. It's the ability to make the right decision with the, with the right decisions. Now, here's also why you need wisdom and not just success. And that is that it's possible, right, wouldn't you agree, to be successful and yet not wise. Case study, look at the difference between the Queen and Justin Bieber. I mean, I'm not saying that you need to be fans of either of them, by the way, but look, wouldn't you agree that on their merits they've both been quite successful in their various roles? But look at the success of Bieber. It's YouTube success. It's crazy success. It's mechanical success. It's appended success. It's overnight success. I mean, look at the Queen. She's been through more seasons of prime ministers than Bieber has been in his career thus far. He's, what, been famous for six years or what? How how old is he now, girls? Is he 18, 19? 20. 20. Sorry, he is wise. He's matured. He's, He's 20. She's been through, what, six, seven, eight prime ministers? See, what I'm saying is there are different forms of success, right? There's mechanical, overnight, X-factor success, and then there's organic, flourishing success. And here's the point. The success that God is talking about here in Joshua is a byproduct. It's not an end product. It's not end product success. It's not the thing that you go for just to get it. God's success you don't get just by going for it. Because, by the way, end product success is fickle. Ask anyone who's been successful. See, because this is the thing. The minute you taste this success, it's like fairy floss. The minute you taste it, it dissolves away. Now... What does this mean for us, anableps? Four eyes, application. <laughs> Here's, let's look above the surface of the level, uh, above the level of the water, above the level of the surface here. Um, as a church, how are we viewing what our success will look like in the future? I mean, how do we know the difference between being a successful church and a flourishing church wherever we go? I mean, are the marks of success our size or our slickness or our social networks that we've got or the social justice that we do? 
Or could our success be, on the other hand, like one of our young adult ladies recently who's been through a transition and a crisis, and she was explaining that as she was going through the crisis, she would explain to her workmates how they would have the tears and the cards and the hugs and the meals and the phone calls. And it got to the point where she would reflect it back to them and they're saying, man, I wish I could be part of your church. And it's really funny because last week I, I, I think I heard somewhere this really wise young guy saying that the quality of our community will be the secret to our mission, right? How are we going to judge success? Because, I mean, is it option A or is it option B? Because option B, the, the hugs, the tears, the cards, I want to be part of that church. By the way, if we're a church like that, I bet you the size and the slickness and our social networks and our social justice, that's going to get thrown in. But how are we going to define what is success for us as a church? It's not just about having a big Sunday. But here's the other thing, Anableps, let's look below the surface. What does it mean for you? And here's my question. Have you determined whether the success that is on the other side of your bridge and your transition at the moment in life, have you determined whether or not you're chasing after end product or byproduct success? Because the, the deal is, God wants you to be the sort of person that is not trying to conform reality to your life all the time, but you're the sort of person that conforms your life to reality. That you may be successful wherever you go. That's byproduct success. Healthy transition depends on your view of success. But not only that, here's the other thing. Healthy transition depends on your method for achieving that success. Uh, let's have a look again in Joshua chapter 1, verse 7. It says here, Be strong and courageous. Be careful to obey all the law my servant Moses gave you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left that you may be successful wherever you go. Don't turn to the right or to the left, to the right or to the left. That's sounding a bit restrictive. Isn't that the very thing we hate about religion in the first place? Right? That's sounding a little bit restrictive. You see, the modern person says, you know, I'm not up for that. You know, the modern person says, hey, look, I, I figure the way that you discover your success in life is you just find out what is right for your heart. You know, it's self-actualization. You know, it's, it's dream boards. It's, it's all these, it, I'll just find out what is right with my heart. But I was reflecting last week, I can't trust my heart. You know, on, on one hand, the desires of my heart is for ice cream every night. The other desire of my heart that I would be fit and healthy. Which one is it? I can't have both at the same time. How can you trust your heart when that is your approach, your method to success? Here, let me frame it up in a different way. Um, my Uncle Bruce was driving his classic Toyota Camry, which just went for years and years. That's why people love Camrys. And it started groaning and making all these weird sounds. It started bunny hopping down the road. And, and so he takes it to my cousin Howard. He's a mechanic to get it fixed up. And so he goes, Howdy, can you have a look at my car? And Howdy pulls out of the engine this cracked up, decrepit dipstick out of, out of the oil section of the engine. And my cousin said, Bruce, when was the last time you put oil in the car? And he's like, well, when did I ever have to do that? 
And you imagine saying that to a mechanic. That's like a red rag to a bull. And he, 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 when did Winston say that? He gets into the car, he flicks open the glove box, all the parking tickets and everything else fall out there. And, and he pulls out this black book and he turns to the back of it and it says schedule of maintenance. And he says, Bruce, what does it say there? It says replace oil either at the red light or every three months, whichever is earlier. Bruce goes, oh, I didn't see that. Now, this is the first and the very important thing to understand when we talk about God's law. What is God's law? Is it an arbitrary set of commands that God just decided to come up with? I mean, he's the king, right? Kings can do that. They can come up with all sorts of laws in order to just keep their people off the streets and keep them busy. Is, Is that what God is doing here? I'm sure that's probably how the modern person sees the law of God, that it's just stuff to keep us busy and look like we're good people. But here's what I'm trying to say. God's law is the operating manual in the glove box of your life. And so, of course, God makes decrees, but it's deeper than that. This, this law of his, it's an expression of his nature. It's who he is. And so when he says, do not lie, he's saying that because he says, I don't lie. I'm consistent. I'm trustworthy. I have integrity. But get this. you know The Bible says that we are made in his image. And so since you and I are made in his nature, do you know what that means? Hear this. His law, like any good operating manual, complements how you were designed to operate as a human being. Do you think Toyota just writes a manual for the sake of it? No, it's there to show the owner of the vehicle. This is the best way that this thing works. And that's what the Bible is to someone who has come under these healthy methods for transition. Now, think about it for a sec. Think about lying for a second, for example. What happens if lying was the basis for all of the relationships that you had? I'll tell you what would happen. It would be like the TV show Survivor. That's what would happen. You know, that's all they ever do on Survivor, power plays, right? Tribal wars. Uh, they're lying to each other, tricking each other. And so here's, that, that's what you have. You've got self-centeredness in the middle of paradise. In fact, it's not paradise, it's hell for some people on Survivor. And in, fa- in fact, that's what the Bible says about sin, is that we're just self-centered in the middle of paradise, and that's what's made this world so painful. But let's get back to the point. You know, When God says do not lie, he's not, he's not giving you an assignment to keep you busy. Nor is it just a decree, something that he's made up. He's saying to lie is to go against your nature as a human being. It's to go against the way that he says, I made you. And so therefore to violate the law of God is to violate yourself. Let's get practical. Let's say for a second that you've got high cholesterol. Maybe some of you do have high cholesterol tonight. And so you go to the doctor Got high cholesterol, comes back with the reading, and so the doctor says, okay, you've got high cholesterol, therefore do not eat X, Y, and Z. Now, if you go and eat X, Y, and Z, uh, I don't know, are the the cholesterol police from the Heart Foundation going to come out and give you a fine or a ticket? Uh, I mean, uh, is is there a whole bunch of health police from Medicare that come out and arrest you because you've, you've eaten X, Y, and Z when you've got high cholesterol? No. No, no one's, no one's going to come, come out and, and arrest you if you've eaten that with high cholesterol. In fact, you'll be under arrest anyway, cardiac arrest. Dad joke number 34. <laughs> K- 
Can't you see? No one needs to come out and fine you because you've already violated the laws against yourself. The consequences are natural. God has so set the scheme up of the universe that to go against his law hurts you. Not because he's trying to punish you, but because you're punishing yourself. And so here's what I'm saying. Another way to look at it is that every time you and I go against the law of God, we pull at the very threads of the fabric of our soul. And so it's not, it's not just a bunch of decrees. The law of God outlines the kind of wonderful and beautiful life that he designed you for. And when you move in under that with the right methods, then you will flourish wherever you go. Now, see, can't you see the methods of God's success? Is it you follow the doctor's orders? Not because they're rules, but because he knows you. Now, anableps, four eyes, application as a church... What does this mean for us, the methods? It means if we are a community from last week that is called to be different in the world, are our methods of being different any different from the rest of the world? Uh, The rest of the world says, I don't want any restrictions on my life. And yet we are a community that says we're not going to turn from the right or the left or the right or the left. We're restricted in all of that. Now, what does that mean practically? It means there's a difference between coming into this place to understand the Bible or to stand under the Bible. I mean, what it means is, is, will this be the ultimate reference point in yours and my life? Now, does that mean that we come in and we're going to agree on absolutely every little bit of this complex and wonderful book? Of course not. We're going to have lots of disagreements. I said that's what I love about this place. But it is the difference between coming in with an attitude that says, I'm coming in here with my life and my reality in order to inform the Bible, (laughs) instead of coming in and saying, I hope that the Bible will inform my life and my reality. See the difference? You're here to understand the Bible or stand under the Bible, church. But personally, personally, what does it mean? (laughs) Personally, it just simply means... Are you willing to give more authority and more credence to the scripts that your GP gives you than to the ultimate GP? You, you think your doctor knows you well. You, you wait until you hear about this guy. He designed you. He made you. And so it means that uh, you know that by submitting to his external laws and his prescriptions will bring you health in the long run as much as it hurts now. So there's the methods. Operate according to the owner's manual. Uh, But there's still a problem as we finish tonight. There's still one problem, and that is this. Uh, There was a a book put put out by this philosopher called Jacob Needleman. And his book was called Why Can't We Be Good? And the basic point of the book is really obvious. Why can't we be good? Uh, But But what he was pointing out is that social theorists are writing books about how we all ought to live and that therapists are all writing books about how we ought to live and politicians are writing books about how we ought to live. But they're all just missing one point and that is we all know how we ought to live. We just can't do it. Needleman says this, he says, Human beings who know what is good nevertheless remain mysteriously helpless to internally adopt and do the ethical, moral and religious ideas bequeathed to them. 
We know how we ought to live and we just can't do it. Why is that? I think it's because it's, it's, one, it's one thing to have the right view of God's success, overflow. It's one thing to have the right methods that we're going to come under his operating manual. And, and what's interesting is you can get two people that go exactly the same methods. And one person, they are arrogant, they feel superior, uh, they are smarmy, they're not, they're not gentle, they're abrasive, they're bitter, they're resentful. And the other person with exactly the same methods come over here and and there's love and there's joy and there's peace and there's patience and there's kindness and there's gentleness and there's wonder. How is that? Why is that? It's because you need a dynamic that is deeper than the the decrees. A dynamic that is deeper than the decrees. It's like me and the dishwasher at the moment. Um, basically, we've, we have house rules at home, Kristen and I. Uh, decrees, if you will. I don't call them decrees to a face, but that's how I see them. And so the deal is that uh, I'm supposed to uh, unstack the dishwasher of a morning so everything's easy to uh, get in there once we finish breakfast. And I can't tell you how many times that she comes into the kitchen and she's so frustrated and she's like, why can't you just unstack the dishwasher? And... And she's like, why do you have to keep doing this? So I, why is it I've always got to feel like I've got to nag you to do this? Why can't you do this to just make me happy? Why can't you just do this to show me that you love me? <laughs> Look at this. Um, Deuteronomy chapter 5, verse 29. Uh, Moses is preaching sermons that summarize his amazing mountaintop experience with God when he gets these laws on the tablets. We've seen the movies. And he brings them down the side of the mountain. And he, he says this. He relays what God says to his people. And, and God says this. Oh, that their hearts would be inclined to fear me and keep all of my commands always so that it might go well with them and their children forever. Oh, oh, what it would take that my children would fear me. Now, back then, fear doesn't mean what, fear does not mean scared back then. Fear meant, oh, that my kids would be in wonder of me and awe of me and respect me like every great dad. Now, here's what he's saying oh what I wouldn't give for them to love me and to do this not just because I told them but because they see I only want what is best for them you know what you know what God is saying (laughs) God's saying "Why, why can't you just do my decrees without me nagging you why can't you just follow my decrees my house rules because you know that it's, it's not about following rules. That's what makes me happy. Why can't you just follow these rules? Because you love me. See, because, do you hear that? Is, is, it, is it just me or was that God getting emotional? And see the dynamic now beneath the decrees. Here's what it is. It's not enough to look at the Bible as just a rule book. It's not enough. to. That's not going to change you. Uh, our challenge tonight, Christians, is that you don't need new information tonight. Most of you here know as much of this information as I do. You could start with the 10 of these rules and they've been hanging around for 3,000 years. They're pretty good. 
We don't need new information tonight. What we need tonight is to be awoken by the dynamic behind the information. The heart of our almighty daddy behind all of these laws. We need to be awoken to that. We need to have our hearts melted by that tonight. How? How? Look, here's how you do it. Don't, don't look to the law for life. Look at the life beyond the law. Don't look to the law for life. Look at the, see, looking to the law for life, that's what religious people do. Oh yeah, I've obeyed all these rules. I'm good. I'm getting into heaven. Look at the life beyond the law. You see, let me talk more practically. How do you choose a personal trainer? I mean, if we're the night congregation, we're sort of in that zone of life, aren't we? We're in a fitness first. How do you choose a personal trainer? Do you go to their CV and do you look at all the various cert fours that they've done in health and fitness? No, that's not how I would choose a personal trainer. When I, if I was going to choose a personal trainer, I just want to look at the bloke that's got the biggest shoulders and the most rock solid arms and the awesome waterboard abs. You know what I mean? In the best guy, I'm like, I want that man, and I want that personal trainer because I'm going. Clearly, that is someone who's proven that their methods work. You know, there was, um, there was an ultimate personal trainer. There was an ultimate Joshua who demonstrated that following these rules and methods work. You know that there was an ultimate Joshua who <laughs> was careful to obey all the law that the, that the servant Moses had given him. There was an ultimate Joshua who didn't turn from the right or the left. He said, not my will, but your will be done. There was an ultimate Joshua who didn't let the law depart his mouth. In fact, when he was in the desert and he's getting tempted by the devil, he said, you shall not t- test the Lord your God. He spoke the law all the time from his mouth. There was an ultimate Joshua who was prosperous and successful. And not Bieber successful. Not not X Factor successful because look at his success. His success from a worldly perspective was a flop. He was hanging from nails. He was hanging from a tree. He was crucified. And yet that's what made it so powerful. Because his, his success, guess what? It wasn't end product success, it was byproduct success. It was a wise success, it was a sound view of God's future that says, lose something for me and you'll gain it. That Joshua was called, he was called Joshua in his day, the modern day version, it was Jesus Christ. Now he is the one that shows us that if you are willing to listen to this doctor tonight, if you're willing to eat X, Y and Z, even though it may not make sense from a worldly point of view, if you do that, he knows that his prescription will heal you and transform you into the person that you're meant to be. And if you do that transition, you will be a person then who is successful where, where, wherever you go. Whether tonight that is in Forestville or whether tonight, may we pray for them that it's our brothers and sisters in Herbal. Christian, if you are asking yourself tonight, where is my joy, where is my love, where is my steadfastness? Your challenge tonight is not a matter of information, it's a matter of working the information in. (laughs) Of doing a bit more personal training, of meditating on this Lord day and night. Don't turning from the left or from the right. And non-Christian, non-Christian, I'm so glad that you're here tonight. Thank you for humoring me for 20 minutes. <laughs> We're glad that you're here. And I guess my question to you tonight is, 
could it be possible that the creaks and the groans and the bunny hopping in your life and the pains in your life is simply because you haven't bothered to look at the operating manual? Which success would you like tonight, folks? Would you like one that tastes like fairy floss? Would you like one that overflows where you flourish? Church, what does your there look like? What are you chasing? What has captured the imagination of your heart? Is it end product or is it byproduct? Because whether or not you want to go is going to depend on how you see that future. Whether or not we go as a church will depend on how we see that future. And so anableps, four eyes, how do you see it? Is success to you an end product or a byproduct? Or most of all, are you prepared to undertake the methods? Are you prepared to come under the dock? Are you prepared to, to listen to the GP? That's how you become a Christian tonight. Not through, not through incantations and big prayers. It's just saying, I'm willing, to, I'm willing to follow that prescription. Because I just have a sense that this doc knows what he's talking about. What's your view of success like? What's your methods to that success like? I'll leave it with you. Let's pray.